creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I am your host, Andy J. Pizza. There are times in the creative journey when you just feel stuck at this surface level with hordes of other creators that are in the exact same boat and they're looking down into the depths and thinking, man, I wish I was able to dive into the deep stuff like my favorite artists do. I remember so many times starting out hearing an artist. Has this ever happened to you where you're you're listening to one of your favorite artists and they just seem to have this incredibly rich, deep connection to the work that they're making. And you just feel like that woman from Napoleon Dynamite buying Tupperware like, I want that. You know what I mean? I want what they have. I want that deep connection to my work. I want that kind of connection that feels cathartic with a flow that others can also deeply connect with. And I'm not just talking about work that seems super deep, you know, about controversial topics or, or you know, super oversharey kind of stuff. It could even just be decorative stuff, but you know the difference between decorative work that just is an amalgamation of the current trends out there versus the shapes and colors that seem to emanate from the soul of a creator. Like there is a difference in that kind of authenticity. And looking back on my own path, you know, one of the big breakthroughs that I had in this area came exactly as the same time that I got diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. And now I've never wanted to do a whole episode on ADHD because that's not what this podcast is about. And lots of you aren't going to be able to relate. Some of you definitely would be able to, but it's just, that's just not how we do this show. It's just not a topical deep dive into random topics, but this episode is about as close as I'll get to that. Not because my ADHD diagnosis caused the creative breakthrough into those depths, but rather because it's a clear side effect of what did that the thing that happened to me in that time caused me to get an ADHD diagnosis and caused me to have a breakthrough in my creativity. What is that thing? That thing is entering the cave you fear to enter most, the cave of self-reflection. And I'm not just talking about the good parts. I'm, you know, I'm talking about the other parts too. So if you're scared, let's light a torch and tie up those carabiners extra tight. I don't really know how they, do you tie them up? I don't know, I've never mountain climbed, but we're about to go spelunking into the depths of your own psyche. Let's go. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. 
I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Chapter one, every piece is a self-portrait. In my experience, the first step to creating a deeper connection to your work that will in turn create a deeper connection with your audience is to see that in a way, every piece of work that you create is a type of self-portrait. Even if you're not painting a picture of you, they're all self-portraits. And I can hear you kind of arguing like, look, man, this work has nothing to do with me. This is my fantasy. This is an escape. It's nothing to do with me. But even so, your escape and your fantasy isn't mine. And so even those are a different picture, a different angle of your own unique psyche. Charles Schultz, who I'm a big fan of, uh, creator of Peanuts and Charlie Brown, was often asked like, hey, you know, are you Charlie Brown? Like, is this uh, secretly you? And his answer really surprised me. He said that uh, he is Charlie Brown, but he's also every other character in Peanuts. He said, I'm a little bit all of them. Charlie Brown is like my wishy-washy, insecure side. Lucy is my smart aleck side. Linus is my more curious, thoughtful side. And Snoopy is the way that I'd like to be. Like he's saying Snoopy is his fantasy, his escape, like what he wishes he was, the fearless life of the party character. And every character in that cartoon and in that in the specials are a self-portrait of Charles Schultz from a different angle, a self-portrait of his inner self. And at first blush, this idea is like very inspiring to me. Like I love this take. It's very in line with the kind of you know, Carl Jungian analysis of myth and story where every character, every obstacle, every elixir and solution and treasure in the story is really just exploring the psyche of one person. Like they're all individual pieces, the villain, the hero, every single piece is really just you. It's, it's the inner, your inner journey. 
Um, and I just kind of love that crap, man. But if you, it sounds really like, man, oh, that, I want a piece of that action. Um, I want to create a, an amazing cartoon where every piece or all the multifaceted multitudes within me. I want to do that. But if you actually put yourself into Charles Schultz's shoes, you have to imagine that this wasn't some euphoric breakthrough of inspiration. It was probably the exact opposite of that experientially as he was starting out. I have to imagine, like, think about it. For years, in interview after interview, they asked this man, are you secretly Charlie Brown? In other words, Mr. Schultz, are you, in fact, one and the same with pop culture's biggest loser of all time? Are you a huge loser? Like, <laughs> that's what they're asking him. That's, that was what, that's what he implied, with this self-portrait, what seems like an inspiring creative prompt from the outside must have been quite vulnerable to experience firsthand, especially like getting started when you had no clue that when he, he, might, he wouldn't have had any clue of what it could turn into or how people would respond and relate and connect on a deep level with this character. It takes a certain kind of like bravery to stand up and be like, hey, I'm a loser. Not many people other than Charles Schultz and I don't know, Beck, Paul Beck, um, to a previous episode, how, are willing to stand up and, and be and own this part of themselves that is not attractive, that is not impressive. And you might be thinking, Andy, you're really like exaggerating this point. Like I'm sure it wasn't that difficult, but think about how we often hide behind the whole, I'm a creative thing, like to better your social standing, to give you an identity in the community, to like make yourself look cooler than you actually are. Like a lot of us, that's how we approach art. It is literally the opposite of what someone like Charles Schultz did. Most of us, I think, you know, myself included, fall too easily into the trap of not honestly reflecting on ourselves and connecting to that place, but rather just like projecting who we wish we were only exclusively. Like our work is all Snoopy, okay? Like every single piece is, yeah, I'm Snoopy, I'm Snoopy, I'm Snoopy, I'm Snoopy. <laughs> Connor, you don't have to make that into a song. That's a lot of time and energy, but, uh, but I think Snoopy's a hit. Yeah, I'm Snoopy. I'm Snoopy. I'm Snoopy. I'm Snoopy. Yeah, I'm Snoopy. I'm Snoopy. I'm Snoopy. Snoopy. Yeah, I'm Snoopy. I'm Snoopy. I'm Snoopy. I'm Snoopy. Yeah, I'm Snoopy. I'm Snoopy. I'm Snoopy. Snoopy. I'm Snoopy. I mean, I'm Snoopy. That's the name of the song. But every single piece is Snoopy, man. Like, we're only showing the Snoopy side. Only only showing the Snoopy side. That's my, that's going to be my uh, biography title. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but we just, we're constantly proje projecting, you know, I'm the slick edgy dude. I'm the happy spiritual guru with all the answers. Who's never sad. Um, these are the kind of project projections that you see out there in the creative world all the freaking time. These are the people stuck at the surface, but to self reflect and own the part of you that's a loser. Like, man, that is really something different. 
And I, and it challenges me to think about in what, in what ways am I not doing that? Like that is something that we can connect with. And if I'm completely honest at any moment, I can tap into how much those depths meant to me as a kid. And even as an adult, like I get, you know, worked up emotionally, just thinking about, I can remember sitting in the room that I shared with my brother, you know, looking at this TV, big giant, like, I mean, a small screen, but the, <laughs> the back of the TV was twice as big as the screen back in the day and watching, um, Charlie Brown Christmas must have come on TV and just feeling the catharsis of like, I feel like a loser. I get depressed. I feel sad like that. I suck at sports and feel like an idiot, like Charlie Brown. And I'm just like grateful for artists out there that are willing to reflect and own those pieces of themselves. Uh, because I don't think you get Snoopy without accepting the Charlie Brown. And I needed that. And there, and there are people out there that need, you know, even just on an emotional level, you to embrace your whole self as an artist. And I want that for you. And I want you to create work that's true to you and, and has that powerful self-portrait nature, not just for you, but for the people that it will connect with and heal and inspire just like Charlie Brown did for me. You don't have to make quote unquote deep or deeply revealing work controversial work to make work that deeply connects or is deeply personal. You know, it's not, that's not what it's about. It's not about revealing all of your secrets or all of your insecurities or, or making stuff that's really challenging. Like I'm not, I'm not even saying all that, but what this is about is being willing, despite your flaws, to take a long enough look at yourself to also see your strengths. Chapter two, take a long look in the mirror. If the first step to creating a deeper connection to your work is accepting that everything you make, no matter how fiction or fantasy or escapism it might be, every single thing that you make is in one way or another a self-portrait, the second step is looking into the mirror. Like most of us are like artists painting a self-portrait, but terribly failing because we refuse to glance at a mirror once in a while to actually take stock. We're trying to paint these self-portraits, but we've never seen our reflection. If every piece you make is a type of self-portrait of your psyche, you have to take a deep look at your psyche every once in a while if you're going to create anything with real accuracy or depth or truth in it. Like without a real look at yourself, what can you actually even make? You, you know, all you can do is project what you wish you looked like. But people, I think, really tend to see right through those projections for what they are, just a complete fabrication and illusion. You've seen it before. You've seen these artists, lots of artists, myself included, early on, that was all it was. First few years of my journey, it was just like who I wish I was, who, you know, who I thought I should be. You know, without a real look at yourself, you're left to, you know, just what others have implied about you that you've picked up along the way. If you don't look in the mirror, you're just going off what other people have said. 
And like based on our evolution, most of the stuff that you're likely to remember is going to be your flaws. Like we jam that thing in there deep, like, like this is who I am, these flaws. And so your self-portrait from that point of view is nothing more than a sum of insecurities if you haven't taken an honest look yourself. Um, you know, if it's, if it's not a projection, if it's not just your insecurities, like you might just be painting a picture that is based on the categories that you fall into. Like, yes, I am a 35 year old millennial man who's a dad and a husband and I live in the Midwest, but all of those things are things that you could find in a census. Why do I need to make creative work to say those things? Like they're all there on paper. Like, how are they going to come to life beyond that? It's so thin. And when you define yourself by just the groups that you fall into, uh, you're defining yourself by others, by the group. You're not getting an individual portrait. What you're creating is just you're embodying a stereotype at that level. And again, stuck in the thin surface level of what you do. And so maybe you're like, Andy, okay, man, I'll take a look in the metaphorical mirror. Boom, easy, done. I did it. But I, but not so fast because I don't know about you, but I feel not the greatest about mirrors. Like in real life, I don't find it super easy to take an honest look in the mirror. In fact, I kind of like recently realized that I have a very bizarre habit <laughs> when it comes to looking in the mirror. It's kind of weird, silly slash slightly dark relationship uh, with mirrors, I realized like I'm a complete goofball as you've picked up, even if this is the first episode you've ever heard, that's probably apparent to you. Um, and because of that, you know, every time I look in a mirror, I just am prone to make the weirdest, silliest, most grotesque face <laughs> that I can possibly conjure in that moment. And, you know, I knew, always knew that. And I feel like it seems innocent enough. And that's probably why I never gave it any more thought. But I realized recently that, and I didn't catch this for the longest time, that there is a micro millisecond after I make those faces in the mirror where I actually recoil in disgust. And it's, kind, it's a vulnerable thing to kind of share this, but I feel like it really proves a point. Like I, I'll make this like super weird face, uh, and kind of make myself laugh. But then I catch myself. There's a microsecond where I'm like, dear God, I'm a monster. Like I make the ugliest face possible. And I'm like, good Lord, you are an ugly one, aren't you? <laughs> and and I, as I noticed that I had that genuine recoil, I started to try to be like, what is going on here? Like, why am I doing this? What is that? And I don't really know exactly other than I think, you know, if these face contortions are some kind of a self-protection of sorts, like if I can make the ugliest face I can and just like accept that that's who I am and focus on what I perceive to be my biggest physical flaws then I can somehow lower my expectations and I'll never be shocked if I have, I'm, you know, I'm in a really unflattering um, pose or, or, or caught in an unflattering photo or someone insults me. Like I, maybe there's just a, a protection where I'm just like, you know, fear aversion myself to the worst case scenario. But I think that there is a problem with this because what it does is it means you end up avoiding your reflection altogether when every single one brings you that kind of just micro pain even 
soon you just don't reflect at all. And when you define yourself by the worst of your features, you are not going to look long enough to notice your best ones. Like the same is true, I think, for your inner reflection, for your inner self. Like if you define yourself by your weaknesses, you're not going to look inward long enough to see your strengths. If you define yourself by your worst mistakes, you're never going to allow yourself to soak up your greatest victories because you're just not going to look at inside at all. And that's how, that's how these, these weaknesses or blunders or mistakes or whatever keep us from knowing ourselves. And that's why you get people like Joseph Campbell saying stuff like that quote that I say almost every week, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. You know, I used to hear that as something, I used to hear that as like a, you know, external adventurer thing, like the conference you fear to attend is where you're going to find the right collaborator. And that, you know, that might be true too. I'm sure there's some, some truth in that, but I actually think that it's just as much or more about the inner caves that you fear to enter the parts of yourself that you do not want to acknowledge or reflect on. Like, and by being unwilling to face yourself in that way, to face your weaknesses in that way, you're not going to find your strengths. And so at the top of this episode, I told you that this would probably be the most ADHD oriented episode I've ever done. I don't know. Uh, it's probably that I've ever done, but I might go deeper into it. There, there's a lot of takeaways here, I think, for just general creators, because a lot of creators are very non-neurotypical, neuro neurodivergent. Um, but in fact, everybody is neurodivergent because there is no normal brain. And so I think there's a ton of takeaways there. I'm getting lost on the side road here. I'm going to circle it back and just say like, this is the, the reason I wanted to do an episode about the, the moment where in my mid twenties that I got this diagnosis is because looking back at my journey and trying to determine like, what were the pivotal moments where everything kind of came together or everything changed? Uh, I recently noticed that maybe the biggest one, like the big creative inflection point for me in my past was right at the same time that I finally got my ADHD diagnosis, like right in my mid twenties. And the easiest conclusion that I could jump to is probably like, you know, it helped my mental health and that led me to getting my life together. And I think there's some truth to that, but I think there might be even something as profound or more profound than how getting a mental health diagnosis can affect you positively. You know, I think that the diagnosis might just be not just the cause to this creative journey breakthrough, but an effect of what the true breakthrough was, which was the willingness to get honest and face who I really am. Like the diagnosis was a result of that honesty and a result of getting into a place where I finally admit to myself, like, hey man, this isn't working for you. Like life isn't working properly for you. And you know, I, I look back and I'm like, man, I've been running, I had been running from that running for myself my entire life, like as far back as I can remember. I remember like first grade hanging out with this kid, Jeremy, and uh, being like, man, I don't think I'm like other kids except for this guy. This guy, he can keep up with my energy. I like, yes, this guy's got something cool. And then I realized at some point 
uh, he mentioned, oh, I got to go to the nurse and take my medicine um, for my hyperactivity. And even in that moment, I remember being like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> this is the only kid. But I'm like, I get this guy. Like, that, we're on the same level. Um, and, you know, it, there were just so many other things right in my face that I was just completely refusing to acknowledge. was a really powerful moment because this diagnosis was the was also the cause of a bunch of many breakthroughs in its own right like it gave me a roadmap for my own psyche a kind of mirror uh it was almost as if like the whole inner mirror to my psyche was foggy and this just kind of cleared up a little bit of the fog so that i could see through with what's going on there and you know i was able to look at things that I had tried to repress, things that I tried to run away from, things that I tried not to accept. And I just started looking them dead in the eye, looking scatterbrain dead, dead in the eye and being like, hey, that weakness is the strength of divergent thinking. Like on the other side of that thing about myself that I don't want to look at actually has something, has the treasure in that cave. And, you know, when I was willing to stare down that perpetual running from things out of boredom, I could see like that is an unending curiosity with everlasting reservoirs to reinvent myself uh, infinitely over and over. Like I will never stop getting excited about new stuff. Most people are afraid of new things. They're afraid of change. And so it gave me this confidence and it gave you know, facing, being willing to take an honest look in the mirror made it so that I could see the whole picture. It made it so that I could, I had some depths to plumb from. <laughs> I love the word plumb as in plumbing, you know, I don't know if that's really, I, it sounds weird in this context, but I love, I, I was looking for a way to work it in. But, uh, you know, like I said, other times in this episode, this isn't about, I'm not talking about necessarily oversharing. You know, you could get an ADHD diagnosis and never tell anybody that that's what happened to me for years. Now, ultimately, for me, I decided to share it because not because I thought, oh, I'll have some. I actually didn't think, oh, I have anything to gain from this. This was before neurodivergent TikTok and, you know, all of these viral things. I didn't I thought sharing the ADHD thing was probably going to hold me back when I first started talking about it on this show, however many years ago. Because I thought, you know, people are going to think I'm irresponsible and I'm not going to, I'm going to start losing jobs and what have you. But I decided to do it, not because I thought, oh, that's the only way to enrich your work by, by oversharing or getting ultra vulnerable, but just because I thought this actually might help somebody that that's in the same boat. And, uh, and I, and I felt comfortable doing that for a whole number of reasons. You know, I had had an established practice by then. I felt like it was relatively safe. It was five or so years after the diagnosis. And I'd, I'd done a bunch of things to try to, you know, circumnavigate some of those weaknesses and play up those strengths. And I felt comfortable doing it. But I just wanted to say, again, I'm not saying to make your work deep, you must be super hyper vulnerable in, in an open book. Not everybody's creative work needs to be that. Even if your work never reveals anything explicitly about your personal life, 
I still believe facing your own flaws, facing your own or perceived flaws, however you want to take it, will allow you to mine your depths, find your strengths. And these strengths may express explicitly in your work, or they might just be a, they're just as valid in a, an expression in the way that they implicitly just bolster the type of work you do or the inner knowing of who you are, or the take is just more authentic and comes from a more grounded place because you know who you are. So it doesn't have to show up in a literal sense to create depth in your practice. So maybe you find you're highly sensitive to, to your sensory things. And therefore you're like, Hey, I need to dive into this. Like I'm sensitive, oversensitive to color. I'm oversensitive to uh, texture. Like the impact might be still, you're still making decorative patterns that don't have any concepts. They're purely intuitive, but all of a sudden you're doing it from a place of inner knowing to your inner taste palette, you know, and, and, and who you are and what type of things light you up. There are so many cases where I had, I noticed a pattern in myself and I looked it up and I got language for that thing, whatever it might be. And I dove deeper and pulled that thread until all of a sudden my uh, understanding of who I was became so much more robust that I could command it through my work in intuitive ways, as well as obvious or overt ways. And then everything in between. But looking into the mirror doesn't mean that you're going to have to have this giant reveal and, and make every part of your personal life public. I don't think it has to be that way. For some artists, they have this autobiographical element to what they do and their identity is very closely linked. Their personal life is linked to the, the work that they're doing explicitly. But either way, I believe that this deep dive, even if it's not what your work is about, but how you approach it, you know, best practices for someone with your type of uh, neurodivergent brain. You might just learn some strengths, some ways to unpack your work that just works a lot better for people like you. Either way, the treasure that you're, that treasure we're talking about, whatever that treasure might be, is often in that cave that you fear to enter. And that cave is the shadow self. It's the part of you that you don't really want to acknowledge or explore. Okay, chapter three, create an identity parade. It's not what you're thinking. It's it's the time of the episode where it's the call to adventure. So every episode, we try to take uh, the big idea from the show and turn it into something small, something actionable that you can actually use. And instead of just getting lost in the esoteric world of uh, Jungian archetypes, what are we going to do with this thing, man? Today, we're going to take a look at our flaws and create an identity parade. Now, being married to a Brit, as, as many of you people know, I'm married to a British person and the British, I've always just absolutely loved. I've never been able to get over the fact that they can make anything sound delightful. Just going to pop this rubbish from the bin into the skip and take it to the tip. Like the American translation is going to put this trash in the garbage into the dumpster to the dump. 
Like <laughs> that's the equivalent of that. And for the longest time, that was my favorite bit of British polish on, on a phrase until recently I heard what they call a police lineup. Do you know this one? Have you ever heard this? <laughs> what, what the British call a police lineup, you know, where they line up a bunch of convicts and ask a witness to pick out who might be the murderer, like that thing. What do they call that? They call it an identity parade, an identity parade. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, it sounds like a, a more accurate title for the rainbows and celebration of Pride Month. Like, they should call that an identity parade. Like, that sounds very accurate to, to what that is. But an identity parade? Yeah, you know, the thing where we line up all the little possible murderers and thieves and march them single file into the room where the victim or witness can stare them in the eyes. You know, an identity parade. <laughs> it's just absolutely bonkers to me. Identity parade. That's what we're going to do today. Here's the point. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, why I want you to create your own identity parade. I could call it a police lineup, but identity parade is is better for our uses and just happier. Um, so in the spirit of facing our flaws, I want you to try to think of the villains in fiction that you most identify with. Uh, we all, I, I think we all probably find it easy. Like we're watching a movie. You're always, your brain has those mirror neurons that place you into the, the life and the role and the identity of whoever the story is about, which is usually the hero. And so we see ourselves from the perspective of the hero, no matter who it is. And I think that's easy, but I also think it's kind of misleading because it, you know, it can fall into that category of who we wish we were. We wish we were brave like that. We wish we had all of those virtues and attributes, whether we really relate to those characters or not, or whether they tell us anything about who we are. And so instead, I'm asking you to ask the tougher question which is, and this was fun for me, but also kind of uncomfortable. Um, ask yourself the tough question of which villain, when they're on screen or in the book, like which of the villains make you squirm because it's a little bit too close for comfort. You ever, wa ever watch a show and the person that they're making fun of is like you? You're like, dang, like... <laughs> That's just like me. I'm kind of a, kind of an idiot. Or has that ever happened? To you watching a movie and like the villain, the bad guy. You're like, I struggle with this thing. And it, I'm not talking about in a literal way. I'm not talking about you ever try to, you know, blow up a planet like Darth Vader. But is there is the underneath thing that the the desire for power, the desire for praise, that you know, whatever that's become uh, so big that it's perverted into kind of a dark side. Like, uh, here's why I think this is a powerful exercise. So if it's a good enough story, it'll be like the great myths where, you know, every piece of the story is really a manifestation of one psyche. Like as you're watching it, this isn't a battle between Luke and Darth. This is a battle between your own light side and your own dark side and, and you know, the inner deep self of knowing Yoda is there. Like they're all pieces of you, like Charlie Brown, uh, is there Lucy the enemy is also not the opposite of Charlie Brown but or, or the opposite of Charles Schultz but rather just the foil it's the opposing side of themselves sometimes 
Marvel gets a little bit of flack for taking this thing a little bit too literally. I don't know if you've noticed this before. Uh, there's a lot of conversations online about how so many of the Marvel villains are just exactly the same as the hero to, to you know, where they barely even do anything different. Like uh, Killmonger's powers and suit is very, very similar to Black Panther's. Iron Man fights lots of other metal men, aluminum, uh, aluminum man, got in the British way. Definitely a better way to say aluminum, aluminum, aluminum man. Like, it's like, come on, push a little bit further. But I actually, one of my all time favorites is Venom versus Spider-Man. Very similar, but they're playing up different components of the same personality. You know, the villains are just the manifestation of the darkness of the hero. And so here's what's powerful about it. It's a literal translation of today's whole episode idea. If you can find those villains that you really identify with, and then you look at that hero of that story, you might be able to find something uh, about the virtue of that hero that you can also identify with. By facing your villainous side, you might get an insight into your heroic side. Like this is a, this is exactly kind of the way that I'm talking about how it works in real life. And for me personally, I started doing this and, and going over it and I'm not going to give any spoilers, but the recent uh, Dr. Strange movie, which I quite liked in the trailer, you can see that there's multiple Dr. Strange's and it's implied even in the trailer. So it's not a spoiler uh, that there's bad Dr. Strange's out there. And those uh, villains, there's something about the through line of the whole story that I feel is both my best side and my worst side. And the best side, I think, gets exemplified in this podcast in believing and trusting in other people and believing in their best and knowing they have it within them versus the latter. And that kind of insight came from this exercise. So I hope that it is as helpful to you and powerful to you as it was for me. So do your identity parade, your identity parade. Uh, just go back through chapter one is see every piece as a self-portrait. Number two is you gotta, if you're going to make a self-portrait, you're going to have to look in the mirror. And then the final one is create your identity parade. Just kidding, one more chapter. Uh, the final chapter. You are not a planarian. Just one more thing I had to say. You're not a planarian. All right, that's it. <laughs> See you later. Just kidding. I, I, I do mean that you aren't a planarian, a flatworm that lives on the bottom of a pond. That part I meant, that's true, but I do have more to add to it because that doesn't make any sense. Do you even know what a planarian is? Huh? You didn't know that this episode was going to also end with a quiz on what's a planarian, but it did. It's this um, super interesting, gross kind of flatworm that lives at the bottom of ponds or something of that sort, uh, creek beds perhaps, I don't know, but they are freaking weird, man. Like uh, they are the actual baby's kids because <laughs> they're the only real baby's kids in the world because when you cut them up into pieces, they don't die. They multiply, literally. That's a joke for people who know babies' kids. I, I have no idea. We watched that at the theater as a kid. 
have no idea how ubiquitous that is, and I don't care to find out. But for the people that know, you got it. They don't die, they multiply. When you cut up a planarian flatworm, it, it, if you cut it up into four pieces, that one worm will become four worms. It will just slowly, over a couple days, grow out a new head and tail. It's sick and kind of astonishing at the same time. But you should know. I don't know if you know this. No other living thing on this planet does that. Not regular worms, uh, contrary to what that sick kid Joshua that was always a little bit too rough. You're like, man, I don't play like that, okay? Please don't. And he's trying to get you to be his little Igor and his Frankenstein experiments. Like, let's cut these worms up, but they'll grow into new ones. You're like, no, that's not a planarium either. No other animals and including you in this, okay? Did you know this? You're like, I know, I know I'm not a planarium. What the heck is the point? Like, you know, you're like, Andy, I know. If I divided myself up into a bunch of bits, that would be the end of me. I wouldn't go on to thrive. Like, what's the freaking point? Well, I'm, I, I'll tell you what my point is. Do you know? Do you? Do you really know? Do you know that uh, you are a living thing. You are not a planarium that not just your, your body isn't just a living thing. Your mind is a living thing. Your sense of self is a part of that living thing, your body and your mind. And I really believe that if we divide up our sense of self, if we divide up, cut up our mind into all these pieces and we detach the psyche from the shadow that unlike the flatworm, it doesn't enlarge in us. It doesn't make us better. It actually does the opposite. Just like every other living thing on this planet, it causes our demise. When you try to cut off of the parts that you uh, wish didn't exist, you don't, it doesn't actually end up being for your better. I'm not saying that you don't learn how to express them in healthy ways or channel them or, or redirect energy. I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about not growing. I'm not just saying, that's me. I like to drink 24 beers a day. Andy said, I can't cut that part of myself off, honey. I'm not a planarium. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that it's something about you that needs to be reckoned with, not ignored, not cut off. And I get like, um, you know, this episode is challenging. It's challenging to me. But my hope is that when you see that no matter what you make, it is a self-portrait of some kind and that you can feel emboldened and inspired to take a long, hard look at yourself without scrunching up your face, you know, without making the ugliest, grotesque face you can make to get through it, um, that you spend enough time to get past those parts that you don't like so that you can start to become intimately familiar with the beautiful side that lies just beyond the parts that you're hiding from yourself. And, you know, in this way, that... You know, if you take that plunge and you start to deepen your sense of self in that way, the work that you make will reflect that depth. And that deep connection to yourself will flow through your work and it will alter the kind of connections that you can make with other people. 
one more little note that I do want to add to this. Uh, I'm mainly talking about facing your perceived weaknesses, not necessarily your repressed memories or, um, you know, your past, what have you, but that also can be part of it. Um, you know, if you get a sense that facing yourself might in fact be dangerous or you might not be ready for it, that's okay too. Uh, but if you do want to start spelunking down into the inner psyche, um, I recommend you do so with the help of friends and family uh, as well as, if at all possible, some kind of professional. Um, and if that means you're not in a place to get a licensed therapist or counselor that you're, that you're you know, um, reading books from people who are trusted and know what they're talking about and, and are working from a place of education, like uh, this journey can be, I, I think that this per, the personal journey is inextricably linked to the creative journey. I think that they go hand in hand. Um, but I also encourage you to do get help uh, along the path because this is, uh, you know, this is the most serious journey. This is the most dangerous journey that you can go on. And I want to encourage you to go on your path. But I also want to highlight that it's not always safe to do so if you don't take the proper uh, precautions. All right, that's another episode in the bank. I hope it brought some pep to your step, creatively speaking, this week. First big thank you goes out to our patrons. You know, I don't talk a lot about our patrons, um, and I realize I do that because I'm not, I, I want this to be a resource for creative people who need it. Um, I don't want it to be a big burden or a big ask. I try not to ask much from listeners, but I realize like it's actually doing a disservice not talking about it to the people that have been supporting this show for a long time. The really important part of this podcast are the Patreon backers. And I don't think it's probably apparent from the outside if you don't run a podcast, um, especially um, the kind of podcast that we have, like the more listeners you have, the, the bigger the email list. The bigger the email list, the more the subscription is. Um, and, you know, we have we have probably three to five different subscriptions that we have to keep on an ongoing basis just to do the transcriptions and, and do the interviews and all that good stuff, not to mention paying editors and assistants and um, all the other things that are required to keep the lights on, which is, you know, a lot more than I would have guessed starting out. Um, and so the the life force, the, the stability of this show is from the patrons. So we just are so grateful to you. If you want to help out the show a, a dollar an episode or, or whatever, we really appreciate it. Patreon.com slash creative pep talk. Massive thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music and jingle. Thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing the show. Massive, huge, enormous thanks to the other members of the Creative Pep Talk team. Ryan Appleton, Sophie Miller, Katie Chandler, content assistants, um, uh, just assistants on all things Creative Pep Talk. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, you you're making this show so much better. We appreciate you. We love you. Uh, thank you for listening and uh, do whatever it takes to stay pepped up. Mm -hmm.